Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio, and we're here for the final podcast before the World Cup break. It is, uh, fortunately, uh, a better result to talk about than the last one. Uh, I am joined by all of our podcasts this week. Coming to us from the wilds of East Atlanta, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, welcome back. Great to be here. <laughs> is, it, is it great to be here? <laughs> And drag me kicking and screaming, strap me down in front of a microphone. <laughs> Not a joke, but yeah, okay. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so Ben, do you have any any Portuguese thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Since you weren't you run around for our, any, you just do you want to sing the praises of Pedro Poro before we get started? Since you weren't here last week. Um, I mean, I'd rather sing the praises of Marcus Edwards, but yeah, Pedro Poro was cool too. Do you think? Do you because. Th- Marcus Edwards, I feel like it's talked about by Spurs fans in a weird nostalgic way. Do you think Marcus Edwards could actually do a job at Spurs, putting like the Conte, like whether or not Conte would play himself aside? I mean, he looked so good for the level of competition, and like he again, he scored against us. So I mean, he looked good in the Champions League is what I think is interesting. I mean, the fact that he was beating the brakes off of like, I mean, admittedly a team that's higher in the table than Sporting, but still not a very good Portuguese team. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is, he is just so small, and, like, he's not the most defensively active player, I guess, to put it charitably. Um, but, like, he clearly has, like, really good sporting intelligence. He moves well. He has good instincts. He's technically good. Like, I don't know. There's there's worse moves that we have executed in the recent years. I mean, like, that's true. Uh, are, you, are you part of the Pedro Porro agenda, or is that just a bit for you? No, I mean, you know, I, I'm still not cl- clear that he's, like, a special talent, but I think the fact that he exists shows that there is a universe of right wingbacks out there that, like, we clearly did not scout. Um, and given its its uh, problem problematic uh, hole in our team, I think, yeah, let's get Pedro Porro and Marcus Edwards in a package deal and bring them back, and that would be cool. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm terrible. I'm getting over a sinus. No, nah, no, no. I mean, Ben, you're. I mean, people already complain about the sound on this podcast. You're not. You're not lowering the quality by any significant degree. Um, Brian, I, I think we we actually forgot to address one very important issue from our Portuguese trip last week. Uh, do you want to see uh, Coates in a Spurs jersey, or several Spurs be like jerseys? Really Maybe big... several Spurs jerseys to yeah, cover his yeah, yeah, upper yeah. body. We'd have to tie a bunch of them together, or or so I think would be actually how they would do it. I'm not, I'm not a kit man, um, but yeah, he's like, I don't remember him being big, and um, that's probably just a failure of my memory. But I just remember him being like a guy at Liverpool, and I think I would have remembered someone that was like that enormous and had that big of a head, um, but he just towered over Marcus Edwards, which was hilarious 
he he looked like the soccer equivalent, and I know he's not this, but he looked like the soccer equivalent of like that guy on the NBA team from Eastern Europe who's not very good at basketball, but he is extremely large, and that's why he's there. <laughs> that's what he was so big. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's um, it seems unnatural to be perfectly honest, and I don't know if that's just a commentary on the size of the players in the Portuguese league or just or the, or the or the culinary offerings of Lisbon. Uh, I yeah, honestly, that could be part of it. But uh, he's a he's a very large human being. But no, I don't want to see him. That's first. That'd be okay. Well, I think it's time to wrap up the internet's most dangerous sporting uh, Lisbon podcast. But um, so let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur, which might be slightly less enjoyable. Um, Tottenham actually had a really good game to end out the first half of their season, uh, relatively speaking, of course. It was a 4-2-3 victory over Leeds United at White Hart Lane. Um, ben, you, you weren't here last week, so we'll start with you. Uh, an impressive win? I think the most impressive thing about this win is that we never go into an international break on the back of a win. We always have to sit and stew about some terrible result, and now we have the longest international break in history. So it's very nice to, you know, not go three losses in a row and go with a, you know, a pretty impressive, hard-fought, comeback, fight-to-the-end kind of victory. That's my number one takeaway. I'm well, glad I don't have to think about this for a Ben, this, this gets at something. I guess I'd thought about it before this game, but I, it really crystallized for me in this game. Is like, this team has not looked great in the first half of the season, but like in any given game, and I think especially the last couple le- league matches at least, not the match against Forrest, but like this team simul- or within that 90 minutes, this team simultaneously can be like look like the biggest group of losers on the planet. And then also, like they got a lot of dog in them. I mean, they, they scrapped for that win. I mean, there have been a couple games in a row now where, I mean, no matter how sort of ugly it's looked, you at least got to give the team credit for, you know, hanging in there and fighting back and sort of digging out a win or points when, you know, I think what's impressive about it is given how bad they look earlier in the match, the way that they're able to sort of like find it in themselves. But it's very weird how this team simultaneously just looks like an immense group of losers and also just keeps on fighting. You know, I feel like this was kind of different from those, those matches where it was like a very much a game of two halves and, you know, whatever stock you put into the theory that Conte is telling the players to actively not play in first halves to conserve energy and then go out in the second half. You know, that didn't really seem to be the case this week. You know, we looked pretty up for it for 90 minutes. Like they had the better of the first half in terms of goals, but we played them about evenly. We had chances, you know, uh, it's just, I mean, the real thing I guess is, Dayan Kulishevsky is that guy, and what a difference he makes. Um, we just look constantly threatening, even though we have a lot of guys who, like you said, are losers and fuck things up for us uh, at every opportunity. Um, you know, just his presence in the attack was unbelievably transformative. Well, go ahead, Brian. Well, yeah, I was just going to ag- agree with Ben. I think, you know, this was a game where um, – we at least looked threatening for large portions of it. And, you know, but for Leeds being actually pretty lucky and, you know, converting what, like probably three of four or three of five of their, their only chances, um, you know, this game would have been a lot more comfortable. I think on XG, we were, we were much more in control of this game. 
then the final scoreline dictates and the way, you know, the, the second half actually played out. Um, uh, you know, cool. Like you guys said, Kulisevsky is just his addition to this team makes such a difference. And, and that is even with, uh, Abinson Sanchez and Eric Dyer playing right center back instead of, uh, Christian Romero. That's even with, um, Romero, or, uh, excuse me, um, Emerson Royale playing at right wing back for, for a lot of the game. Like he just, he, he makes this team look so, so good. And having any sort of progressive passing or progressive dribbling in this team, uh, is just huge. And, and it makes me more frustrated about like what not having a plan B, but like also like watching plan a finally work is so satisfying. Well, he's finally healthy. I mean, honestly, you could even say this isn't even plan a cause Ramirez still out. Um, but I, I think that let's, let's stay with Kulishevsky for a second. Um, I think what was really interesting is like, I mean, we've watched a lot of good players at Spurs over the years. I can't remember seeing, and this happened a lot over the course of the match, but I think the, the fourth goal is probably the best example of it. Like, I mean, we talk about a player like a wrecking ball a lot, but like just watching, you could just see the Leeds defense actually collapse around, like everywhere Kulishevsky went when he finally got into the final third. It's just like players are just falling on their ass, totally missing him, getting taken out of the play. I mean, he he ends it with, I mean, the reason Bentecourt is able to score that winner is because he completely removes the keeper from the play because he sort of dinks it off to the side when the keeper's committing to him. I, I mean, it was just crazy to watch this sort of slow motion car accident, like just follow Kulishevsky around in the final third. And he was doing it all match. Well, and I think the fun thing about Kulishevsky is I, I feel like he does it in a different way than anybody we've kind of seen at Spurs, at least, at least in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, you talk about Dembele who was a great dribbler, but he was so like, silky and all his all his movements were so smooth and controlled and like while he was like physically very strong and people were bouncing off of him he wasn't putting people on their ass like with his moves he was just that in control and then you had like gareth bale and hung min son who are pace and power guys and um and and kulisevsky is somewhere in between on the spectrum like he is strong and he is like sometimes quick, but he's not, he's not bursting past people. He's not running around them. He's also not necessarily running through people. He's just, he really looks like early Harry Kane where you're like, Oh no, he's going to fall on his face. And like, and then somehow he does a nice little ball roll and turn and is in space and playing a perfect pass. And it's just like, you're like, oh, he looked like a deer on ice skates. I don't know how he pulled that off. Um, but it worked out so, so well. And and it's, like you said, it, watching defenses have to plan for him as opposed to, you know, you have a Richarlison over there. You have uh, Lucas Mora, who's more of a just one-trick pony, just get the ball and kind of run situation. You have you you don't have that level of predictability with Kulisevsky, and 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 whether it's him cutting inside and taking a shot, whether it's him getting to the byline and making a cross, whether it's you know him pinging a long cross field ball, he just can do everything, and it makes him so dangerous. 
I think that's I mean, that's a really good point about what I think makes him special. I mean, because you were talking about he like he's not like that physical specimen that Dembele was. He's not or the physical specimen that Bale and Son are. He just does a little bit of everything, and it's you know you talked about Mora. Mora finds himself in space in the final third. It's just he's not a good enough sort of like he doesn't have those that close technical control like Kulishevsky does. And he doesn't have the delivery Kulishevsky does. I mean Kulishevsky he can shoot it, he can pass it, he can dribble. I mean. You know, and I think because we see guys like Bay, I mean, I know I thought he was slow when he first got here. Um, now it's partially because of how he plays in FIFA, but um, part of it too is like you're just. What do you think of when you think of a guy who plays or an attacker who plays out wide? I mean, at least at Spurs, I'm thinking of a guy like, you know, Aaron Lennon, R.I.P. Um, you know, um, I'm not, thinking not of R.I.P. Like, well, <laughs> well, no, uh, retire in peace. How about that? Um, you know, I'm thinking of Aaron Lennon. I'm thinking of Gareth Bale. I'm thinking of Son. I'm thinking of guys who just like come and, like, keep up, like, try and keep up with me, let's see how it goes, and they just blow past you, and, you know, those guys have technical ability, but, you know, he doesn't have that kind of speed, but he's just sort of, like, in and out, and the way that they, he just collapses everyone around him, just, I forgot how much fun it was to watch, and it was really, really, it was really good to see, and, it, and it, I think it's easy to, like, we talk about how much we're missing him, and it's kind of easy to forget what that looks like, like, you just know we look better with him, but then you see that, and it really stands out. I mean, it's you know, beyond his, his technical ability and his, you know, multifaceted toolkit. It's For me, it's just his decision-making and his vision is just unparalleled on this team. He is always, always making the right decision in a given moment. And sometimes he doesn't have the physicality or the speed to, like, keep up with that decision, but, like, his head is always in the right place. And, like... You know, he's talked about the, the last goal, and you can see it on the pitch as it's developing. When Davinson Sanchez has the ball, Kulisevsky points behind him to Harry Kane and is like, pass it there, and knows, you know, exactly how it's going to develop from that moment. And there's just nobody else on this team who is, you know, conducting play, you know, on that level. No one else. Seems to I mean, Hoiberg is doing a lot of pointing out there. I don't know if it's conducting, but he's pointing. Dyer too. They're they're big pointers. Uh, but I think Ben, you made a good point because uh, he was doing that with Sanchez all like the entire time Sanchez was in the match. He was telling him like over there, like pass it here, like give it to me now, like. And I mean, uh, you know, I I would imagine Harry Kane on a good day is doing a lot of sort of conducting on this team. But yeah, like to see it that just that clearly on the pitch is something. Is something. Well, and I also have to wonder like. You know, he has spent a lot of time on the sidelines this season. He has spent a lot of time away from training. Like, you know, does does that mean he got in some additional, you know, time in the video analysis room? Does that mean he got some additional time to sit down with the coaches and talk about the patterns and everything? Does that mean he has, like, now some more deeply ingrained understanding of the patterns of play and what Conte wants? I don't know, but it certainly looked like it. Like, he... he just, you know, his him being able to tell Davinson what to do and then also Davinson being able to execute that. I mean, he's now the greatest coach Spurs have ever had. Um, so I, I just don't – I mean, if he can do it with Emerson Royale, he'll, he's the next Pep Guardiola. So, um, so here's hoping, you know, fingers crossed. I want to, um, you know, as we're really doing our New Year's resolutions early as we become a more positive podcast, uh, I want to stay on positive performance for a minute. Because I think a guy, Brian, you and I talked about it a little bit last week, but I think it really deserves some credit again this week is Rodrigo Bentancourt, who I would say 
you guys tell me if you disagree. I know Spurs have been sort of uninspiring for the vast majority of the season, but I would say this recent sort of really frustrating run of form started with the United game. And I think Bentoncourt is about the only player who I think, I think criticizing him for his performances during that period would be pretty nitpicky. I think he's been by far our best player for the last month and a half, whatever the hell it's been. I mean, I think he's been great all year. And this is another, I mean, it's, it's sort of, I think we all knew he was a solid defensive hand in midfield, but you know, the way he moves getting forward, like he's a better passer than I thought he was going to be. I know we've said all this before, but he's he's really such a, I don't want to say a complete midfielder because I think that's overstating it, but he's a more complete midfielder than I think anyone gives him credit for. And this game was a perfect example of that. I mean, I know Kulishevsky's like laying it out on a plate for him twice, but I, I just think it was a really, really strong performance from him. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for how he's played this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, to the the Leeds match he was actually kind of meh up until the point where you know Basuma comes on and and frees him up to start doing some more stuff. I think to me that's been uh, the the real big trend from the last month or two of the season is Basuma coming in and 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 fitting into his role and then what that has freed Bentancur and Hoiberg up to do um because you go from two midfielders that are pretty samey and sort of lim not limited that's not the right thing but like you know have defensive responsibilities yeah, the, the, you take off the defensive responsibilities on their plate, and while you wouldn't necessarily identify either of them as being great attackers, um, they've both been able to chip in with goals, with getting into the final third, with good passes, um, and Bentinker especially. And, you know, I, I remember talking on this podcast at the beginning of the season, like, look, if we're really going to challenge, if we're really going to make a run at the title or or, or be, you know, try for second, third place in the table. We got to find other places to get goals from. And and I think I was pretty dismissive of the idea that Hoiberg and Bentoncourt would provide any substantial number of goals. And both of them have chipped in really, really solidly with with goal scoring this year. And, you know, I mean, Bentoncourt himself has scored what, like, a couple of really key late game goals. I think, you know, not just this game, but uh, there's the header um, against, I don't remember. Um, in one of the boarding and Bournemouth, like a month. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I think it's great. And, and I'm like you, I, I, this is not the player that I expected for when we signed him from Juventus. I expected safe recycling possession, smart in defense, you know, good positionally, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, an aggressive tackler. I did not expect, you know, getting into the box and scoring goals. And it's been great. Like he's he is a really good player. And honestly, you know, if he keep playing this way, he's one of the best midfielders in the league. Like I don't know how many other midfielders you would look at and say these this guy is definitely better than him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'll, I'll cross the board. You're pretty spot on, Brian. And I think it's kind of remarkable to see him do this stuff in the final third in the way that he has. Because with Hoybier, like we've seen him do it for Denmark. We've talked about this, and we know that he has it in his locker. With Bendencourt, 
he has never displayed these traits in his career that I'm aware of. Like, he is not a guy who just shows up in the box. He's not a guy who does anything in the final third. You know, progressive passing is, is one thing to be surprised by. This is like, there, there's no no imaginary version of Bentoncourt that encapsulated these kinds of skills. And it, he, he literally, in his entire time at Juventus, scored three total goals. He has five this season. Um, in Argentina, he scored one goal. Like, and he's the, not like, the goal scoring is n- not his thing. He, he's not. He scored more goals this season than he has in his entire professional career. He's not young either. I mean, he's not old, but he's like twenty four, I think. I mean, he's not. I mean, certainly it's not like oh, we're figuring it out at age twenty one or something like that. I mean, right? You usually don't add a whole new goal scoring set of skills to your to your toolkit this late in, the, in the, your career, but. You know, he looks very comfortable as that most advanced midfielder. And, I, I mean, I remember joking in Slack a few weeks ago after he scored against, I think it was the Burnmouth game, or maybe it was Sporting, um, that, like, we should play him in the front three in Kuliszewski's absence because he seems to have a much better sense of, of space and, and, you know, passing angles and movement than some of our nominal forwards do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's increasingly mystifying to me why we aren't going with the three all the time to get this version of of Hoiberg and and Betancourt on the pitch as much as possible because Basuma is also looking better and also looking more comfortable with the pattern and it's like we have three guys in midfield that like are showing a lot and when you look behind them at our center backs we have like five guys who aren't really showing much of anything and I'm like why is that the balance well and then the other thing is that we didn't have earlier in the season is now we have a healthy Oliver Skip who can fill in you know and, and take minutes. Maybe the in, only guy in, in that Forest match break. who doesn't like deserve to walk home after it. Right. So I and I mean like you know to Ben's point like if we want to persist with you know uh playing the 343 and and cool is unavailable now with a healthy uh, skip and and a Basuma that understands the patterns, you can play three four three, and you can put Bentancur out on the right if we wanted to. I don't think Conte has shown any inclination to do that, but I think that's a great idea. We should try it. Wait, wait, um, what if we made him a wing back? To pl- yeah, we could make him a wing back. Why not? Um, he would be better than Emerson Royale at this point. Um, we could, you know, we could continue with the three five two, and and we now have a rotational midfielder that we can throw in there. Uh, in 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 skip um who i think can probably play either of the sort of number eight or the number six role i don't know that we've seen him attempt the six but i i'm certainly confident that he has that ability to do it um i don't know it's just it it, i'm with ben it's it's frustrating when we have uh a position that is demonstrated to be a strength and a, and a system, a way of playing that is demonstrated to be effective for us. And we've just kind of, you know, tinkered around the edges with it instead of just going with it. At the same time, uh, what was that? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, at the same time, you know, this was our first coherent front three we've had in a minute. Um, where we're not like th- throwing Lucas Moore in there. I mean, we got a passer. We're playing Richarlison, where he probably ought to be playing um, on the right side, on the left side of the field, rather. 
So, I mean, I, I think in large part it was a really effective match out of those guys. Um, I mean, I, I thought Richarlson was probably a little more anonymous than you'd like him to see, but you could see it sort of working. I mean, we're kind of hamstrung. I mean, even yeah, – I was going to say we're kind of hamstrung by our winbacks, but even then, like, I mean, Royale was getting in the right positions for a lot of the match. He just was not doing anything with them, <laughs> but – um, should we should we do the Emerson Royale bit now? Yeah, like, I, we, I, like... I actually, I mean, we, we've criticized Emerson Royale a lot. We're about to do it some more. I, I feel pretty bad for the guy. Actually, that was brutal from the fans. And I, you know, a guy sucks. I get it. Like certainly during like some matches, I've been very furious with this team. But like getting on a guy's back like that just feels, I don't know. It feels kind of it, it's not helpful. It's just me. I mean, Richarlison was kind of trying to buck him up at one point. I feel bad for the guy at this point. I mean, I'd rather have another wing back out there, but I feel bad for the guy. You know, I'm, I'll happily take shots at him from a podcast, from Twitter, or whatever. But like on the field while he's playing, it's just that just seems beyond the pale. Like, I I don't support booing. I don't support hassling our players. Like at the end of the day, like they're on your team and they're part of whatever this Tottenham Hotspur amorphous entity is that we're all a part of, and to just like abuse him like that to his face while he's out there trying his best. Like he's not good, but like, God love him. He's out there. I don't know. There was like a moment before the second goal on a corner kick where you could just hear a particular fan behind the goal screaming directly at Emerson, how much he sucks. And it was like, if I can hear it, he can fucking hear it. I don't know. I, I just, I just don't appreciate it kind of behavior at all like it's not helping anything doesn't make you a big man like fuck off i I had a lot of questions about the direction that that mic was pointed like that's (laughs) that's not that's not what you're trying to pick up with that mic and like so that i think it might be actually (laughs) maybe but that person's either like in the first couple rows or they are the loudest human being on the planet um i don't know i i just there were a couple moments in that first half um, where I, I was all on board with like <laughs> booing Emerson, like getting him out of my club. Like, I mean, he misses he misses Harry Kane, um, like kind of wide open at the top of the box, and then there's another opportunity that he just what does he do? He like skies it, like yeah, we had a great move to work Ben Davis into the box down the left, and he crosses it to Emerson of all people, and just yeah, it, and I mean. Emerson did have one great shot on target. I mean, it was just sort of unfortunate it got saved, but... Yeah, you know, look. He is what he is. And I think it's a square peg, round hole situation. And I think, you know, in another system, he's probably fine if you're in a system where you're playing as a fullback uh, or, you know, a a 4-3-3 or something like that where you're not relying on him to do ball progression and you're not relying on him to be in the final third. You just just want him to be a conservative defense-first fullback or or to recycle possession. I'm sure he's fine. Um, That's not the system we play. That's not what's demanded of him. And so he just looks shitty out there. And I don't know. It sucks. Like... This was Ben Davis for years. And then Ben Davis reinvented himself into, you know, a left-sided center back in a back three. Maybe that's what we need to do with Emerson. Maybe he becomes a right-sided center back. I don't know. But, like, this wingback shit is, uh, it's bad. Like, I, you know, I don't like Mac Do- uh, Matt Doherty, but, like, he's an improvement. He's, over I, I don't think he's bad. Now, like, 
Like they talk about this on the his, extra. His, his goatee is bad. His facial hair is an abomination. They, they talk about this on the extra inch this week. How I think Nathan said that it seems like we're playing our fullbacks in the reverse order. And I don't want to get into the Spence conversation. I mean, I don't think we're doing that guy any favors. I want to be very clear about that. But you know, it isn't. I mean, he didn't look good against Forrest, which isn't a good way to judge him. But you know, like I'm not. I'm not in training every day. I don't see. Maybe he's not passing. Maybe he doesn't get the patterns. I don't want to comment on him because I haven't seen enough of him. So you know, if Conte doesn't think he's good enough, then. That's a problem in terms of our transfer policy, but you know maybe he's stinking up on the training pitch. I don't know. What I can say is I, we've seen Doherty out there, and I don't think Doherty's like the solution, but he's fine. I mean, he does a good job. I thought we looked a little bit better when Doherty came on later. I thought he looked much more coherent. I thought the way he interacted with the players. I mean, I think it was it might have been in the Forest game before everything collapsed. He pops up in the box occasionally to you know create a good chance. I mean, he he makes sense in a way that Emerson doesn't now. It's worth pointing out this could be a fitness thing. Um, Doherty's injury was apparently much more serious than anyone realized. He might not be able to play as much as we would like him to play, but the fact that he's not getting like starts over Emerson is a little like I, again, unless there's some fitness component to this that I'm missing. I, it doesn't make sense the way we're sort of approaching it. Like I, I don't think the left side of thing has worked out great, but at least what we're doing over there makes a certain level of sense. Yep. Yeah. So, do we talk about it all season? That was like the big black hole in our team. Well, I think that's there's another black hole in our team, which is the rest of our back line. Because I think ever since Romero went down, or I mean, Romero's been down or hurt all year, so that that probably explains why they've been a problem. I mean, I think putting Dyer on the right is this sort of. Like, I don't know. It's a sort of devil's bargain. Because on the one hand, there are games where he will give you... I think the Liverpool game was a great example. Is he'll give you great service from the back. Like, he'll ping diagonal balls. He's, he's a very good passer when he wants to be. But, you know, not so good at, like, one-on-one defending. And I think this was this was another match where, you know, it was... You know, like, I mean, we talked about... We, we were talking about this in the last few weeks, Brian, where... You know, what drives you more crazy when it's just a bunch of stupid individual errors that are causing goals, which is, I think, what happened in this Leeds match, or where you're getting systematically cut open. And, you know, I think Dyer's causing all these errors in the back line. And maybe that's not fair to him because he shouldn't be playing there in the first place. But, you know, it's just like, I, I get why we're doing it, given the injuries that we're coping with. But, man, I mean, it's causing a lot of problems back there. I think it's at least somewhat to explain for why Hugo hasn't been good. I think that he doesn't trust that back line right now um, and on top of whatever else is going on with him. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a problem that we need to address in some form or fashion in January. Uh, you, we uh, addressed it in the second half with Davinson Beckenbauer. <laughs> I mean, our new... I'm not going to get excited about another Davidson false dawn, but it was nice to see. (laughs) Yeah. He he passed that ball well. He was doing good stuff. He also did, like, back end of the last season, didn't make any mistakes. Like... And I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a seven-hour period where we went scoreless while he was in the team. Uh, No, I think, so, the, the back three that we put out in this game, I think you looked at it and you're like, uh, I don't like this at all. And it was, I mean, aside from giving up three goals, it was mostly fine. Like, you know, the problem is Eric Dyer and uh, his defending in space and leads, you know, set up to attack that 
and and got two goals out of it. Um, you know, and I don't know. I just I I think Eric Dyer is fine. I think playing him as the central center back is fine. I think there are other problems in this team that I would rather deal with. Um, you know, I I think the main thing is is Dyer and Davis and Longley and you know all of our center backs have played well at various points and just this season for whatever reason it's not clicking in the same way that it did at the back end of last season or 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 that you know when it is clicking everybody's not clicking together uh and so I I, I don't know what the the solution is um I think I mean you know a lot of things are fixed by having Romero in there and and by us having Kulisevsky and they're by extension, you know, more of the ball, more creativity, more just like understanding of what the fuck we're doing. Um, but we don't have that right now. So I don't know. I just, I mean, the problem is, is like none of them are particularly good defensive defenders. Like, you know, like Ben Davis is probably the best of the bunch of the four non-Romero defenders. And like, which is an insane thing to think about saying, you know, a year and a half ago. But, you know, I mean, that's really the problem. It's like, there's just no way to assemble four guys who can't defend into three positions and somehow make it defend. Well, well. You like, can stick yeah. somebody at, at central center back and they'll like long or Dyer will be fine there, but you're sticking them there as a liability. So yeah, when Romero's out, like you got problems. And that's assuming Ben Davies has a good game, which he doesn't always. Yeah, I mean, it's just a mess, and we just are now at a point where we don't have to worry about it until basically January, at which point we should sign somebody. So let's okay. let's jump into that. Um, we have oh, wait, a trans- is there anybody else that we scored four goals. We did score four goals. Harry Kane had, by the way, uh, Harry Kane had a very nice goal, even if it probably should have been chalked off sides. But I feel like we've been screwed by the refs enough, including in this own game, that I don't really give a shit anymore. And I mean, we also definitely fouled their goalkeeper. Who cares? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we have definitely had that shit, like, happen to I don't us. Know. Well, like, I, I feel like, just, like, on balance, we're one of the luckiest teams when it comes to VAR, just because of, like, every city match. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. No. This no, like, season, like, it's been a particular conspiracy against Tottenham Hotspur by the referees kind of season. Like, yeah. we've been bad, and then nothing has gone our way. So, like, I'll take it at the expense of, of poor plucky well, that, leads. But... That third goal, like, I mean, again, I don't want to, like, because a lot of people fucked up after it happened. But, like, Benton Core gets fouled by, was it Adams on that fourth, on the on the third goal, and, like, just, you know, play on. I mean, the referees are clearly just, like, we don't want to stop play unless we have to this year. And I, I don't know. Like, Ben, you said earlier in the year, like, we are simultaneously getting tons of penalties, and also <laughs> we're getting screwed with our pants on every week. It's, like... It's interesting. I wonder if, like, the way that referees are calling matches now where, where things are not fouls anymore, I wonder if it's going to lead to people, like going down claiming head injuries more often because that now seems to be the only thing that gets referees to stop and and so like it was funny you know not to take it back to our portuguese discussion at the beginning of the podcast but like one thing i noticed in portugal is like if somebody goes down injured the physios do not come onto the field like they just like is he dying 
no, okay, we'll just stay here. And then, like, in England... <laughs> literally yeah. smoking cigarettes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> literally. And, and But in England, like, somebody goes down, and, and the physios run on, and there's Britain, so, like, so, you know, if if this is the approach that we're going to take, that we're not going to call fouls, when people actually are injured, they need to then get the fuck up, and we need to, you know, continue on with play. We don't need to, like have the physios run on and then pull them off to the side and spray them with the magic spray and give them water. And then like usher back at like, I don't know. It's just, it's a, I still have not adjusted to the new world of officiating this season. And uh, I, I, I don't understand what a foul is, honestly. No one does. The World Cup will be fun because of that one. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. It's been a very weird, I like, we like where it came out today. Romero's been playing hurt. Um, you know, Richarlson's been hurt. I I don't know if there's anyone on this team I would accuse of dogging it because of the World Cup, but I I can't help but feel like it feels you know every player is just and other teams have played better than us, so I don't want to like use it totally as an excuse, but it all feels weird with the with the World Cup kind of looming over everything. You know, whether that's just like the insane fixture list we've had this this half of the season or what, but. I'm just going to be glad, even though, like, I'm sure half our fucking team is going to be injured and, you know, every Arsenal player is going to go out in, like, the first round or something. But, you know, it'll just be nice when the season starts again. It's just that's not hanging over everything. And, you know, every injury, you're not like, you know, oh, what what kind of bullshit is the Argentinian FA going to do now that someone, like, got a little tired in a match or something like that. So I'm looking forward to the season after the World Cup just so the World Cup isn't hanging over everything. Um. But yeah, um, so looking forward to everything, um, we have a transfer window coming up, and I would imagine that a lot of work, or at least some of the work, because not everyone's going to the World Cup, is going to get done pretty early, because you got a month where some of these guys aren't playing. Um, ben, two positions, I mean, obviously you would replace half the team if you could, but for, you know, keep it simple for Paratici, if you had to pick two positions for us to address in the, in the transfer window with players who are going to play for us in the second half of the season, none of this loan deal or young player will be a play for us next year. Two players are going to play for us in the second half of the season, some sort of significant role. What are the positions you would address? Yeah, I mean, I think number one, only because we've been linked with him so much, is Malinowski or a guy like him is, we've seen how, how much a difference Kuliszewski makes. Um, you know, I'm sure buying a backup Kulishevsky isn't going to matter because Kulishevsky will be fit for the rest of the season. We'll have wasted one of our two transfers on a position we don't need. Um, but it was a clear need in the summer. It's still a clear need. I want to get it done. Especially, if, you know, it will give us some flexibility in terms of a three-man midfield with a guy like that. Um, so, yeah, that for sure. Um, you know, coin flip, I guess, between right back and center back. But I'm going to go, we still need a right wing back. Center back targets may not be available, but surely there's a guy who is better than what we have, and let's do it. Brian? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Ben 100%, but just for purposes of content, I would say, um, you know, looking at signing another attacking option, um, not necessarily like uh, Malinowski, but another... Uh, winger that can do some forwardy stuff and ball progression stuff. There's rumors about um, Marcus Taram, who is on an expiring contract and might be relatively cheap. I think that would be an interesting I have signing. No idea where he would fit in this team, but I don't care. Like figure it out. <laughs> like 
Yeah, I think he'd be fine. Um, and is and he then, is he a um, a ball progressor or a scorer? Is he more of a Richarlson or more of a Kulishevsky? I I'm not gonna I'm pretend I've watched enough of. I know he's good, but I haven't watched enough of him to really. Yeah, I I'm not gonna pretend that I know either. I think the, some of the charts that were going around this week about like ball progressing players and how they progress the ball. He was in the like progressive dribbles portion of those charts. Um, so I, I don't know. I think, I think that'd be fine. And then if you're going to get someone like him, that's cheap, I would go ahead and splash some money on a center back. I, I, you know, I, I agree with Ben that right back is probably more of a need, but we've already got three of them. And I also just don't know. Other than our, our podcast fascination with Pedro Porro, I don't know who you're getting for that role. Like, you know, the players that are really good for that, like, there's like two of them in the world, and we're not getting either of them. So, you know, uh, I, I think I think you can spend money on a on a center back and get better return of, uh, on your investment. And, you know, while I don't think we're going to be able to sign a player like Bastoni, um, because he's just not moving midseason, um, I don't know. There's other guys out there, um, you know, that we that we could look at and target at this time. And, and, and so, so that was what I do. I do center back and, and another winger. And then, you know what, if there's a goalkeeper out there, that's, uh, that's reasonably Jeez. priced and reasonably young, it might not be a bad idea. You know, what we're actually going to do is Perry Fiji's going to watch the world cup and some fucking Joe Schmo. Nobody is going to have a pretty good tournament at right back. And we're going to overpay for that guy. And he's going to come here and fucking terrible you know where that theory's wrong then uh italy's not in the world cup so you know he's not gonna look at an italian player and buy him like that so you know well italian players he has real connects <laughs> this is where he has to do his scouting and he's totally without a rolodex I, I would to answer my own question um obviously i think center back or right wing back is an area I would try to purchase. Um, my thing is, I don't think we need more band-aids for our, our back line in terms of center backs. Like if you could just get a guy who you think could do a job for a few months, I mean, you know, I guess if it's really cheap, sure, I guess. But if that's, if you could find like a real right wing back, like I'd rather spend money on someone who's going to like, I'd rather find a cool shit. I mean, I don't want to get carried away. Cause I understand. I would rather get someone who's going to be a contributor to this team going forward. I, I, I am less worried about getting someone who's just going to do a job for six months. Um, you know, I think Brian, you made a good point about right wing backs. Like it's hard. There's not an obvious guy out there. Even a guy like, I really like Pedro Poro, but like huge question marks around that guy. I have no idea if he's going to start, if he can, if he's capable of being good in England. Um, the thing I think you got to consider, there's two things you got to consider. Cause you look at a guy like Spence who on paper fits the kind of profile, what Conte would want. And you need to go buy guys who Conte is going to play. And I don't know how you get Conte on board with that. You I, like I don't know if you need to like tape him to a chair and tape his eyeballs open or something. But you need to like sit in a room with Antonio Conte, if with like some names and be like, if I buy this guy, are you gonna like unless he's like a shithead on the training ground? Assume how was that not a process anyway? I don't know. Like, maybe hey, maybe hey. they did that and he was like, fine, fuck it, whatever. I, I don't know. But my point is, whatever didn't happen in the summer, you need to make sure it happens from now on. Like. So if you go buy him someone, like especially at center back or right wing back, where, yes, we want to upgrade, but we have a couple guys in each of those positions. So if you're going to go buy another right back, 
you better be sure shit Conte is going to use him in some capacity because otherwise, what's the fucking point? Um, I, I would do one of them, um, you know, just because it looks like we're going to buy Malinovsky, or at least that seems to be on the cards. Um, also, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll get crazy, go buy a left wing back. Um, I don't love our options there. Parasic is kind of disappointed, and I am. Like, Sessegnon just doesn't look like he's going to put it together. He goes through these spells where he looks all right. If you can find a really good left wing back, like, let's do it. Um, I know we got Udogi in the pipeline, but, you know, it's not like we can't get rid of those other two guys. You can call Udogi. I think that's the Sure, thing. do that. Like, do that. What would it cost to bring him here? I don't think that'll actually happen. Um, I, I think Thuram is a great addition, and I would love to have him. Like I said, my worry with him would be then you've got, assuming we don't really give a shit about Lucas Moore's feelings, like, that's – five guys along a front line. Now, that, you might have just proven in the first half of the season you can't have too many. And if he's cheap and willing to come here, you might just, that might just be one of those good problems that you figure out at some point. Um, I'm a little also, concerned. Those are three guys who are predominantly goal scorers who all played from the left. And uh, whatever. I mean, like there, it could be the kind of thing that solves itself. Like, oh, well, Harry Kane's fucked after the World Cup, so let's just do this and we'll figure it out later. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think that's the. I was just saying. I think that's the interesting question: is who comes away from the World Cup like absolutely fucked in terms of injuries? Who or just who does an Achilles? Who blows an ACL? Not not necessarily at Spurs, but just like at other at other teams. And like, what dominoes does that then make fall? Like, you know, if Liverpool or City lose like big players at the World Cup, like, what do they then do? Um and then, you know, what what does that trigger for other clubs? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested. This is this is totally unprecedented, you know, times. And, and I, I don't I, I have no understanding of what's going to happen in the next month. I, I think, honestly, if I were a betting man, I'd just bet on like nothing happening and this being a total normal January. But, like, I think with a month off, you've got to expect something to happen. But it's going to be – I think it's going to be such a weird window because if you're – if like, let's say, for instance, Tottenham are interested in a Swedish player. Like, let's say there's, you know, someone on the Sweden national team that we want. Like, in theory, I would imagine that, that kind of negotiation is going to be starting – like, that's probably the kind of thing that's happening right now. But if you want, say, a Brazilian player who's playing on the Brazilian national team, like that's the kind of thing where, like, you gotta wait for the World Cup. Then what's his hit, which is injury status and all. Like, so I think it might be a window that's like there's a lot going on right away, and there's a lot going on at the end. And there's not a lot in between. I think it's going to be a very weird window because different players are in different positions, you know. Um, yeah. So who knows? Um, uh, yeah. So before we leave, um, I, I want to. I, I think we would be remiss. Um, without letting uh, the retirement of Aaron Lennon go without comment. Uh, I know for myself, uh, he was one of the first Spurs players that stood out to me. Uh, ben, you, you used him as your internet handle for a long time. So why don't we start with you? Uh, do you want to wax lyrical about Aaron Lennon, what kind of player he was, what he meant to you? Yeah. So, yeah, for those of you who don't know, my name on the blog was Lennon's Eyebrow. Um, in honor of Aaron Lennon's beautiful racing stripes in his eyebrows. Are you gonna Are you gonna get some racing stripes in your eyebrow in, in honor of Aaron? I maybe need to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that'll go over at work. But... I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I can put in a little like eyebrow pencil over there when I'm at work, and no one will know. You've already you become go. a communist in his honor, so <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no, he was just a, a wonderful, wonderful little player. I remember first seeing him play for England in the 2006 World Cup as David Beckham's backup and thinking, boy, he's so much better than David Beckham. Um, I'm going to watch that team come the fall, and I sure did. And, uh, yeah, Aaron Lennon is a big reason why I'm a fan of this club, and he's just been at the center of so many great moments over the years, um, you know, in that Harry Redknapp team in particular, um, with, you know, him and Bale flying down the flanks, uh, the own goal <laughs> with uh, Lennon clearing it into Bale's face. Uh, what's your what's your favorite Lennon memory if you had to pick I know I'm putting you on the spot here but if you had to pick a Aaron Lennon memory what's your favorite this isn't it but it's hard to look past the uh Molan goal in the Champions League I'm sure if I actually sat with this question for a minute I'd come up with something better but that's the obvious one I would I would say the uh when he dribbled uh Chesney um uh in that one of those AVB North London derbies um I think it was him and Bale they both Triple Chesney in that match, and that's probably my favorite Lennon memory. Um, but uh, Brian, do you have any Aaron Lennon thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he was just—he was so good, and it, you know, it was one of those things where he was kind of like an embodiment of Spurs at the time because it was—you know—we were very much a nearly club, and he felt for a long time like a, a nearly player, like where he was so good at. Like, he had this one skill that he was amazing at. And then you were just always like, well, he can't put together a final ball. And, and you know, there were always flashes in preseason early on in the season where you'd look at him and you go, all right, this is the year. This is the year he figures it out. And he really, you know, starts getting that final pass right. Maybe starts finishing and starts scoring some goals. And it never, it just never quite happened for him. But, I mean, like, he was an amazingly consistent player. Um, I think there's probably only one season in his time at Spurs where he had like injury issues. Otherwise, he seemed to be ever present in the lineup, um, and he always put in a good shift. Like there was never questions about effort or dedication. Like he really seemed to work hard. He seemed to love the club, and and he was just he. He seemed to get along with everybody too, and he seemed like a wonderful teammate. And he was just—he was just a joy to watch. Yeah, he—I always felt, and he was better than Thea Walcott. Yeah, well, I mean, who wasn't? Uh, but I mean, I always felt very—you know—I mean, I started watching in 2010, so I—I'd like to think I got to see sort of his best years at Spurs, or at least some of them. Um, as I sort of grew to learn more about football and English football in particular, I always felt it was a little fortunate that I got to watch a guy like Aaron Lennon at a club like Spurs because he felt like a little bit of a throwback, or at least that's the impression I gathered. You know, so, like just that kind of touchline hugging winger who you don't certainly don't see at top clubs as much as you used to. And I mean, just, you know, and in some ways I'm sure his speed, like the fact he was so fast is what kept him at a team like Spurs for so long. But it was really just, you know, I mean, certainly going to always be ingrained in my mind as like one of those first players that really stood out to me at Tottenham. And, uh, you know, I hope that he's involved with the club or is involved with the club as he wants to be um, in his retirement. I hope they let him go buy drinks with Ledley King um, or buy drinks for him and Ledley King uh, when they go on the road. But um, really a lovely player. And I know he's had some mental health issues over the last few years, but it seems like he's pulled out of them okay. And so I hope he's doing well. I hope he's you know, going to find some happiness in retirement because he certainly was a joy to watch at Tottenham. And, um, 
yeah, I think that's all we have to say about that. Um, ben? Uh, or maybe not. Maybe Ben's got more to say about that. My biggest regret for Lennon is he had that preseason under Pochettino where he looked like uh, he was going to be really good for Pochettino and then got shipped out. And, you know, he was a player who, like, really spanned two eras of football. You know, like, it's hard to believe that he was only 28 years old when he left us because he was at this club for such a long time. And that was seven years ago now. Like, you know, he's just been around for a really long time. We bought him in the when uh, Leeds had to sell all their guys off the first time around. Like, that in, like, 2001 or something, right? Like, we bought him a while ago. 2005. Five. Oh, all right. Yeah. That was... Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> but, like, but like he played in the Premier League for Burnley last year. Yeah. And, and played, like, I don't know, like, 28 or 30 times or something like that. Like, like I don't know that how, how many minutes that was or how many starts that was. But, like, he played a not insignificant amount in the Premier League last year. And I, I'm like you guys, he kind of fell off my radar after he left Spurs in that, like, I was like, oh, he's not a good anymore. And no, he still had a very creditable career at, at Burnley and was a Everton professional for years. Yeah. yeah. And like, so I, I guess what I'd say is, you know, he bridges this time between touchline hugging wingers and that going out of fashion. And I always wondered what he would have been like if he had just been a little later to the game and been able to develop, you know, more well-rounded skill set because I, I see the way he played and like, he's not a great crosser of the ball, but like, that's all you were asked to do when you were a winger in 2005. Um, and like some of his best moments come with, with Gareth Bale on the team and he's coming inside and they're passing to each other and linking up, you know, winger to winger in interior areas of the pitch. And I just like, you can see just like glimpses of who this guy might have been in another, you know, universe. And I, I, I really think he could have been even more special than he was if it just football had been a be- in a better place. Tactically. What about, what about right wing back Aaron Lennon? <laughs> no, I would never do that. Aaron Lennon. I, I always thought the great unrealized uh, part of his career is like, I just remember like, especially after we played Milan and a few other Serie A teams and uh, Italian teams in Europe, I was always like, God, why is an Italian team just by this guy? He would slaughter that. I mean, I'm sure they would have tactically fouled him out of every match, but like, you know, he was so much faster than anyone I was watching at these games against Italian teams. Um, but yeah, I'm I mean, glad he... watching Gervinho go to Serie A and like roast people on the dribble, there's no way that Aaron Lennon could not have done that. I can't think of a finer tribute to Aaron Lennon and <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, we got a World Cup coming up. I don't know if anyone noticed. Um, uh, we're not planning any shows before, uh, the season starts, but I don't think that means we might not do one, but don't count on it. But, so you might hear from us. Ben? Last goal in the 4-4 against Arsenal. There you That's go. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No worries. Uh, yeah, so we're not planning on any World Cup shows, but, you know, if we get bored or, uh, there's ma- major transfer news or, hell, we just feel like it, you might hear something from us. But otherwise... We'll be back uh, probably, I guess, at the end of December would be when we can talk about Spurs again. So, yeah, expect us sometime just before the end of the year. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully Spurs play better in the next half next year. Ben, where can people find you online that, um, complaining about Tottenham Oscar? This is more of a loaded question than the last time I asked it because who knows where anyone is online these days with Twitter falling down. I. Uh, yeah, you can find my verified Twitter account, Antonio Conte, <laughs> at Comrade Spurs. Brian, uh, are you tooting or are you still on Twitter? 
I have uh, a Mastodon, I guess. Um, I don't know what it is, but um, yeah, same. I have one. Um, but yeah, you can still find me on Twitter until it burns down uh, at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Yeah, and uh, I'm probably on Twitter for the duration too. I mean, we all have stuck with this hell site this long. I might as well be there when it goes down and, and, and falls apart. So. Uh, until then, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can find our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, enjoy your World Cup as much as you're able or in the manner in which you choose. Uh, for Brian, for Ben, and for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.